Welcome to another special edition of the Quick Whistle Podcast. This is the second part of our Avengers Endgame spoiler podcast. And last time we did not get to a lot of points in the movie. Hopefully we'll keep it a little bit tighter this time now that we have the bulk of the topics out of the way. I'm Kevin Negron and we're joined by Jared Emerson and Stephen Barbush. What's up, guys? Hey, how's it going? Cool. So let's just jump right into um, a big thing that we missed, which was the villain over Infinity War and Endgame. (laughs) (laughs) Not important. (laughs) Uh, If you guys didn't notice in our last podcast, we kept saying we're going to address that later, address that later. It got to be an hour and you know, in 20 minutes, and we decided we definitely have to split this into two parts, so. We didn't um, say when later would be, so we, it's cool. So, so now we're at later. <laughs> yes, later is a week later, but uh, we're glad to be here again with you guys, and we're going to jump into this right away. So, Steve, what did you think about the differences between 2014 Thanos and 2018 Thanos? Did you notice any differences in demeanor, ruthlessness, anything in general? So, one thing I did really kind of notice about Infinity War version of Thanos was he was more compassionate, more respectful um, towards towards the Avengers. Um, like he kind of, he knew they were a formidable force, um, having kind of seen them grow over you know the last four years you know between 2014 and now. Um, you know he he was kind of merciful towards some of them. Obviously he you know smashed Tony Stark with a planet or a moon but other than that he was he was relatively merciful to some of them 2014 thanos that they bring into the future he makes it personal because it it seems like because he already knows he's won and at this point it's just kind of a i've already beaten you guys i can do it again he's a little more um reckless he's a little more arrogant um, he already knows he's beaten them and he's already died in the future and he just kind of loses some of that the, that edge that brought him like to make him a really compelling villain in Infinity War where you can see his side of everything with wanting to save the universe by cutting population in half whereas this one he just kind of just wants to kill everyone and start over. Right and we also don't know exactly what he knows in the movie. I'm assuming most of you have seen it because uh, you wouldn't be deep into this podcast without, but he uses Nebula's... Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. But he uses Nebula's uh, recorded memories to see what happened in Infinity War. Jared, do you think that he knows that he sacrificed Gamora, or do you think that was something that um, he didn't gather from watching everything that he saw from Nebula's uh, recordings or memories? That's funny because until you just said that, I didn't even consider that he didn't know. I just kind of assumed he did because um, you know he kind of he he watched Infinity War after we did. Like you know he got he got to watch the whole movie basically. Right. Uh, he can I only guess, watch things that he was that Nebula. Was, Nebula saw, but yeah. I mean she saw a good amount of it. Right. I mean when you she know, which does, is, which is why I think he's different than 2018 Thanos because he goes into it with a different mindset. 2018 Thanos is like he he appreciated the journey he made, you know. Uh, he kind of took the long route and went step by step and still won. 2014 Thanos is like, I won, yet these guys are still bothering me. Even, you know, not necessarily him in particular, but he said even though 2018 Thanos, I, I completed my destiny, they're still 
trying to undo what I did, and I think it's at that point he decided, screw it, I'm just going to come wipe them out. Uh, to answer your question, I guess, no, he probably didn't realize he got rid of Gamora, and honestly, he never really had a moment to worry about it once he got uh, once he got to uh, to Earth in 2023? Is it 2023? Yeah. So I guess, no, you're right, he probably wouldn't have known, because I don't think it was a, a question people asked, why didn't Nebula warn Natasha and Clint about the price for the Soul Stone. And I don't think she knew about it either, so why would Thanos be able to know about it? I think all she knows is that Gamora went with him and never returned, but it never really like implicitly states that she knows he, she was sacrificed. It's more like he might have killed her after he completed what he needed. That's, yeah, nobody, unless they actually go, nobody knows the the price of the, the soul stone and <laughs> i don't know if you saw my image i sent earlier to the group but captain america going back to the soul stone afterward i mean i'm really sad we didn't get to see a interaction between uh, red school and him <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean who knows maybe we will in the future uh maybe captain america will have his own disney plus miniseries and we can, <laughs> we can tell to what he did I wonder, like, do you think Red Skull, like, still hates him, or do you think there's, like, he's just transcended above that, and he's like, ah, Steve oh, yeah. Rogers. I think he's a totally different en entity, and then also, uh, you know, Red Skull says that he has explained this several times to many people. I wonder how many people just are like, no, that's too high of a price to pay, like, and then what what happens? They just leave? Yeah, yeah. Like, who else, who else was seeking out the... Who, who even knew, like, the only people that knew about the Infinity Stone were, like, not that many. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? I guess Wong talked like he knew about it, so maybe maybe Wong secretly tried to contain all the powers at one point. Yeah, the Sorcerer Supreme and uh, all the Sorcerers, for that matter, seem to have a pretty good understanding and grasp of the Infinity Stones. Well, so. I think Wong knows only because he's probably read all those books in the library. That was kind of like his duty, you know? So... Uh, past the differences in Thanos's personality, uh, let's talk about the final battle. Uh, right before the final battle, Thanos has his big fight versus the big three, so to say, Cap, Tony, and Thor. Steve, you want to talk a little bit about how you felt about, about that battle? Uh, that one, to me, was kind of... the. I think it was the fight uh obviously in the movie um i think the the later one is you know everyone trying to get them trying to get all the characters their screen time um this one to me is really indicative of the journey we've seen these three that kind of kicked off the mcu to get to that point uh, you know we've seen the character transformations of all three of them over a long stretch of time, and the the one point that Janelle made in in the last episode that we did, um, where Cap wields Mjolnir, uh, Thor's hammer, uh, and Thor just kind of like I knew it. Um, it was a it was a good callback to when Thor or when Captain America tried to lift the hammer in um, Age of Ultron, and it kind of budges and Thor realizes it, um, and then now to be able to wield it and use it to, to help defeat Thanos in that fight, or almost defeat Thanos, and then, uh, you know, 
the other two kind of get washed, and like we said, it ends up with Captain America staring down a, a giant army by himself. And there were so many triumphant moments, but in the theater when he lifted, or when he, I guess, called Thor's hammer, right? Was it a lift or was it a call? It's a, he called it. It's a, it's he called a call. it. Like, yeah. When he called it, that's when my theater went absolutely insane. It was yeah. probably the loudest I had ever heard throughout the whole MCU. Um, yeah. And then the quietest was a snap for me. Tony's death was pretty quiet, too, with a bunch of sniffles. But There's some gasps at Tony's death. Wait, no, sorry. Tony's stab. I was thinking Tony's stab, not Tony's death. Yeah. Tony's death was a little bit more like, a little bit better, I guess. He got a good death. I, they, I, I was going to be very sad if he actually went out like they were going to make him go out in Infinity War. At first, like, really? That sucks. And, Jared, do you want to talk about um, how powerful Thanos is against the big three, uh, considering he, you know, he only has essentially a helicopter propeller against these three superheroes. I know. Call back to the Thanos copter. They actually brought it in. It's about time. Did, were you expecting the Thanos copter to come in at any point? <laughs> no, no, I was not. Um, but okay, so I saw someone mention this that Thanos is actually like stronger without the stones, like physically stronger. The stones actually kind of take away some of his physical power, but it's more cosmically powerful. Because it's just, it's so draining to actually control the stones. And, I mean, I kind of felt that was true. He didn't need the stones, and he took on all three at once. Like, nobody even really got any big hits on him until uh, until Captain America got Mjolnir. Like, that, that might be true, because at, in the very first scene of Infinity War, he just handles Hulk like he's nothing. Yeah, he didn't... One yeah. stone, I believe. He didn't use anything, but he had... right. And but he still had to like, even handling a stone seems to take a degree of something away from the person. And that, the only reason I say that is because I mean you look at when he snapped the damage it did to his arm, the second snap almost killed him. Like surely he's feeling the effects of wielding all the stones, and he did when he put the final stone in. When the rainbow, all the colors shot up his arm, it looked painful. It didn't look like it was. It looks like he's giving him some sort of pain. So, I mean, I could kind of right. subscribe to that theory. It makes sense. So I think that he's actually even stronger without the stones physically, and that's where he kind of dominated all three of them. Speaking of handling the stones, I'm a little bit confused about the continuity of handling of a human handling a stone. So Clint just has the soul stone in his hand after he, he gets it, after Natasha's death. How does he I do think I think he's considered worthy of it because the soul. I feel like the soul stone seems to be different than the rest of the stones, mm -hmm. and I feel like the soul stone because he made the sacrifice. He's therefore worthy to hold the soul stone, if that makes sense. What about Hulk and the time stone when the ancient one just hands him the time stone? Uh, I wonder if it was just because I'm assuming you're referencing Guardians with uh, Peter Quill holding the power stone. Right. It takes all the guardians. And him being and Peter being a celestial, celestial for them to so, be able to do that. So Plus my, space stone and and uh, red school. My thought was um, that, it, or my my thinking now is just that it, because it's the power stone, it's so just kind of overwhelming that it's kind of different from the other stones because, like they mentioned, you know, the ether in. Thor 2 becomes the re is the reality stone, and it becomes part of Natalie Portman's character. Also becomes part of the Collector. 
Yeah. He's able to so hold I think, it. I think all the stones have different traits, and I think the power stone was the one that, like, you couldn't really handle unless, you know, you're not physically touching it, because I think and it's... And the soul stone. Or, excuse me, space yeah. stone. Right. And that kind of that they break it out of um, to have to get to it anyway. And going back to the reality stone, and, and we're, we'll get back on topic here in, in one second, but why on earth did Thor send the reality stone to the collector at the end of the Dark World? Like, why, why would he give it to su such a sketchy individual? Still don't get that. Any theories on that? Did, I thought he said why in Infinity War. Did he not? Well, he said, Peter Quill says only an idiot would give that man a stone, and then Thor just responds, or a genius. Oh, because he didn't think Inibu would think that Inibu would, would try to take it from him. He thought that giving it... Sorry, the way I thought he meant it is, if I give him the stone, nobody is going to think to look for it there. Like, there's no way that that guy, of all people, will have a stone. That's fair. And I think the Collector was able to appreciate the value of it, which is why he was keeping it hid. Because he has so much stuff. But he still wanted the other five. I don't know for what purpose, though. Maybe just for a collection. And I, and I know that Thor wanted to keep them all separate. Yeah. Well, it's like... But, uh, but, no, go ahead. Sorry, that was it. Okay. I was just going to say, we, we spoke about Tony's death, obviously. Right before that, he snaps, causing Thanos' army to be dusted. And poetically, Thanos dusted... Um, I know personally I had some kind of weird emotion when Thanos was was dusted you can tell in his face that he felt like he he or he felt that he failed his entire life purpose was I the only person that, that felt that way did you guys feel bad at all for Thanos as he was getting dusted no <laughs> I, I I didn't I just thought it was kind of interesting that the like when he sits down right as he gets dusted, it's the same pose when he sits at the end of uh, Infinity War. It's kind of like that straight-on shot where it's you know, he sits down, he, his head's kind of bowed a little bit, and that's kind of it. It's also uh, the same shot he gave when he sat down. It seemed like it was a, like a... What was that, Jerry? It's also the same shot he gave when he sat down in Endgame before, while he was waiting for Tony and... Yeah. come up to him. I think that's just the way he sits. <laughs> yeah. It very well it very well could be. Um I just thought it was kind of interesting because um, it it looked like he kind of he knew he'd already defeated them once. His destiny was to die at the end of it anyway and I think it it kind of looked as almost like an acceptance of you had to go through all this just to defeat me in the end again and it was it seemed like a little different way of kind of portraying that it's that he had mentioned that the avengers were were arrogant i forgot in, in which which way he actually said it but he called them arrogant like five minutes five to ten minutes before that and then basically his arrogance led to his demise so yeah. jared something to say well i think you i had talked to you about this yesterday and you didn't really subscribe to this theory but i don't think that 2014 thanos is really dead Expand. So, like, um, so the way that, you know, the Ancient One kind of described it, you had to go back in time to the exact moment you took the stone. And and when you 
replaced the stone, it basically eliminated that extra timeline. So when Captain America would have gone back to replace the was it the Soul Stone, and when they went back to replace the Soul Stone and the which stone did Quill get in that timeline? Which one was uh, Gar- Oh, it would have been Power Stone. So the Soul Stone and Power Stone, it would have eliminated that 2014 Thanos' timeline. Which is why they were trying to send Danvers uh, back in time to replace him anyway, to re- because that would have gotten rid of Thanos then. So even though he's dusted, his timeline's wiped out, it would have reset the timeline, so 2014 Thanos is back alive in that time. Wait, they were trying to send... Maybe I missed this. They were trying to send Danvers back to... to... She had the... She was trying to get to the... When she took the gauntlet, she was trying to get back to the... Uh, I think it's whoever the heck could actually get there in time. Oh, right. Oh, my yeah. goodness. I just noticed that right now. Yeah, she was trying to go for the quantum tunnel, right? Right. Yeah. And it Thanos threw the, the, the... It flew like the Thanos copter into there and blew it up. It's... So the way I understood it is the reason they were trying to do that is because if I replaced that, the timeline where he goes back in time wouldn't exist anymore. Because the soul, the stone would have been back again, and it would have limit, it would have like burned out that timeline. So therefore, when they go back, it basically eliminates the Thanos that was dusted anyway. He's now back in that timeline. Everything is good because they go back to before he finds out. So he's alive. If that, I don't know if I described that the way I meant to, but like, okay, so then Thanos goes on to do what he does, and then the Avengers do the same thing anyway. Right. So it creates that loop. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. That makes my brain want to be when I... That's <laughs> Yeah, understanding what you just said was harder than me trying to think about how they explain time travel in Endgame. I would have to just I would have to describe with a piece of paper basically. <laughs> All right, we're going to have a special yeah, we'll edition podcast a video podcast. Called, yeah, called Jared's Thoughts and he's just going to explain everything in his his kind of way. Um so to move on into the supporting characters that we didn't get to touch on in the first podcast, uh, starting off with one of the most, uh, well, I figured he would be important, but I didn't figure he'd get as as much uh, screen time as he did. Scott Lang, Ant-Man. Steve, you want to talk a little bit about Ant-Man's role in quantum travel and how you felt about how he performed during his significant screen time? Yeah, um, Ant-Man, Scott Lang was one of my more or less favorites in Endgame. Um, I, you know, the chance, the pure chance of him being ejected from the quantum realm by a rat pushing the right button, um, just kind of showed the whole chance of that one in 14 million scenario happening. Um, but then for him to kind of, they, they used him as a way to explain how time works for them rather than, um, kind of just, hey, we can go back in time through the quantum realm and here's how to do it. It was more of a, hey, you guys were gone for five years. I was gone for five, I was gone for five hours like, or, or whatever. Like, it didn't seem like it was that long to him, um, which is why he comes out, you know, what happened here? And the kid just kind of looks at him and rides away, you know, not knowing anything. Um, I thought it there was some good kind of points of, um, when Tony shows up at the Avengers compound after they try to send Scott through time and Tony's like, y- you sent time through him. So he shows up as a baby. He shows up as an old man. He shows up as a teenager. 
they they did a lot of cool stuff using Scott throughout the movie just to help with kind of the progression of the plot rather than just having him, you know, off on the side while Cap and Nat and Tony figured everything out. Can, I, can I just say... Oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Jared. Uh, you're probably making a better point, so go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I was going to say, surprisingly, in the um, in the first scene when, when he does get back and he's walking through San Francisco, you know, he goes to that park and sees everyone who's, who's perished and runs to his home after he finds out Cassie's not one of them. That's a really surprisingly emotional scene. And I didn't expect that out of, out of Ant-Man at all. Go ahead, Jared. I thought they crushed it with a lot of the emotional scenes in this movie. And, and it's, I mean, they've kind of always built that relationship between his daughter and him. So I, I'm glad they expanded on it. It weren't like they didn't just ignore it. That would have been very frustrating had they just ignored it completely. Um, right. And I will say, when I first... When the first Ant-Man was getting ready to come out, I was like, oh, Paul Rudd, part of the MCU? I was like, this isn't really... I was like, he doesn't really hit me as the superhero type. I He has crushed that role. Like, I mean, I guess I should never doubt the man anymore because he can do everything, it seems, but he just, he has been amazing. And, like, the, he 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 was amazing in Endgame, too. He was one of my favorites, for sure. And That's... Also, oh, go ahead. I also love the... Uh, the Ant-Man characters, so I personally want an Ant-Man 3 or some kind of iteration of a Ant-Man sequel, the third one. Um, I want to see a close to the the Henry Ham storyline. I know we only had a little bit of Hank in 1970 as his younger self, but he was still he was still kind of an asshole, and I want to find out why he's an asshole. I know I know I know he lost his wife, and he's probably bitter, but I feel like there's more of a Hank backstory to tell and. Uh, who knows? Maybe even a retro Ant Man movie with with the original Wasp. I would be. I would watch that. And I thought I it was hilarious when when Cap essentially prank called him and told him that he had a package waiting. He's like, "Okay, well, isn't that your job to do it?" Like just the smugness. Uh, I thought it was was hilarious. Uh, Jared, you were gonna say something? Uh, the, uh, no, I think they surely they're gonna have a third Ant Man or at least another Wasp where he is a part of it or something like that. Like I feel like his daughter's still got a role to play in the in the movies too, even though she's older. But like one of my favorite moments with him was even just the the getting ready to go back in time. Like the his ability, and this is a lot of Paul Rudd too. His ability to like take a a, a tense moment and still make it comical is really great. You know when he's sitting there, he's like, "We only got time for two test runs," and then he's like, "One messes test. Up, so one test run." <laughs> <laughs> I thought a huge, huge uh, dropping of the ball was how much they aged Cassie in five years. Like, she doesn't go from being seven to 20. That actually, okay, I didn't make sense. Like, how old is she? But then, when, thought, when, did, when did the first Ant-Man happen? She might have been, like, 12, so I guess 17 makes sense. What'd you think, Steve? I thought she was a little older in Ant-Man and the Wasp, but I didn't think she was, like, 12. Uh like maybe nine or ten, so like fourteen, fifteen, so maybe just a year or two off in uh, in Endgame. But I didn't think it was anything that terrible. All right, I guess it was just me then, Steve. Uh, we didn't we didn't get enough of to see it in the movie. She might have just been like one of those things where we saw her and she just looked older for a second. All right, well, I'm gonna see it a third time this Friday, so I'll come back with a, with a report. There we go. Um, moving to another supporting character that was very important, uh, someone who I actually thought might have a chance of killing Thanos herself, Nebula. Jared, do you want to get into a little bit about 
Nebula's role. We, we touched on her interactions with Tony in the first podcast, but just her role in informing the team about her father and uh, her past self and double Nebulas, all that good stuff. Okay, so I thought Nebula would get a little bit more screen time. Uh, I did not expect her to be such a major character. And so I, was, I really enjoyed getting to see more of her brought out, and I thought it was interesting to even see when we went back and saw saw her interactions with Thanos back in the timeline of the first Guardians of the Galaxy, how how hard she was trying to please him. You know, she's she's like, I'll do anything, you know, and like Gamora was basically Gamora's already planning to backstab him and he's like trusting her completely and Nebula's like just sitting here trying to prove her worth while she was literally that was like his one mistake. If he had just like trusted Nebula, I think he would have had a little bit more success. He drove away the one person who ends up kind of taking him down because she really does even even in even in uh, the end of Endgame uh, you know she sets it up to where current or past Nebula ends up getting killed and that kind of she kills her she literally kills herself uh, to basically set everything in motion because Clint had the uh, I believe Clint had the gauntlet at the time didn't he yes and that's, yeah yeah. He yeah no she was uh, and past nebula was great too um kidnapping herself coming up with the plan to to make herself look like current nebula and go back in time and like she did not get enough credit for how like smart she is yeah i mean uh like they really they really showcased that she she was really brilliant she's a tactician like i feel like she she really did i think that thanos messed up by not giving her the credit that was due because she she was honestly she wasn't as strong as Gamora but she was as smart as her I, at least that was my the way what I took away no, I agree and she is a daughter of Thanos so there's a reason why Thanos picked her I'm assuming yeah. he actually conceived or helped conceive these children he probably just picked them out of uh, the galaxy the different uh, the different planets that he was invading and he's like oh I'll take this one because they seem strong so I, is probably, I, th- I think he valued strength over over mental strength at times. Uh-huh. Obviously, she wasn't as mentally strong, or she wasn't as physically strong, and that's why he kept like taking away from her. And I don't know, he just he really up. Op- Say they they showed that with uh, Infinity War when he goes to invade a planet, and they show us how Gamora became one of his children. Was instead of watching her half her planet die, he turns her away. And then, you know, gives her the, the the knife to balance on her finger, you know, the balance of life and death in the universe or whatever, and then takes her onto a ship and raises her um, as his own child. But he valued her because of her bravery, which he, he took to mean strength. I, you know, that's he, because she came up to him, you know? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, you seem like a strong one, or I can't remember exactly what he said, but... Yeah. And... Uh, which leads us into the final two survivors, I think. If we talked about everyone, if not, correct me, guys. But War Machine, James Rohde, and Rocky, uh, Steve, Jared, whoever, whoever wants to go first. Talk about Rocky and roles they played in Endgame, how you felt about it. You know what, Kevin, why don't you answer this one? I want to hear what your thoughts on Rocket. Well, my thoughts on War Machine. You are a little raccoon too. So, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I can I can go off on a tangent if, 
want me to, but what, what was your thoughts on Bradley Cooper? <laughs> Bradley Cooper. I, I want Bradley Cooper to be more present. Like all the. I always forget it's him until I, I was like, oh, that's right. He he's Rocket. Yeah, all the behind the scenes photos, like photos of casting crew, like Vin Diesel and Bradley Cooper are never there. Um, I just forgot Vin Diesel. You never yeah. see. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that they just do their work probably in some studio. Yeah, they probably aren't even on set. In L.A., it's all CGI. Yeah, I mean, they a lot. Some of the filming I'm sure goes on. Did this this did this film in Atlanta? I think it did, right? Mm-hmm. They filmed Avengers Tower has always been in Atlanta, so that would make sense since the final battle took place. The Porsche Center in Atlanta is, is Avengers is the Avengers base. Hmm. But Fun fact. Uh, a little moment that I did like uh, with, with Brody was that he was the first one to fly up to Iron Man as Iron Man was dying. So I like that that little moment that he had with his best friend. Uh, that's a relationship that's closed. Uh, another thing that I liked about War Machine was his team up with Nebula to create Power Stone, and, um, smacking the hell out of Peter Quill as he was doing his dance. Seeing that dance from a third third person camera was I'll never be able to look at the first scene of uh, of Guardians of the Galaxy the same way ever again. <laughs> it never makes sense. He would be singing to himself because yeah. <laughs> and I wonder if he's going to play not not a big role, but um, I guess. Some kind of role in being a pseudo Iron Man in the future. He has the War Machine suit. He doesn't have all the same capabilities, I'm sure, but it's still still pretty, you know, powerful exoskeleton. So, um, Steve, do you think that War Machine's going to play a part at all, or is this Rhodey's final final call? I, I don't think it's it for Rhodey, but I don't know how much he's going to feature in the future. Um, he might have, you know, kind of similar role where he's a you know, support to the new group of Avengers um, you know, that are coming up with Spider-Man and Captain Marvel and everyone. He might just be kind of like a, a quote-unquote veteran that they kind of lean on for guidance or everything, kind of like filling a sort of mesh of Tony and Cap role where he can help people with his own experience. Right. And um, with Rocket, Jared, do you want to talk about Rocket, or you still don't want to hear me talk about Build a Bear? I still love to hear you talk about Build a Bear, about <laughs> Rabbit. The thing I love the most about Rocket through all the movies, from Guardians to Infinity War to Endgame, he's such a strong, uh, strong. I, I was about to say person. He's such a strong raccoon, humanoid, whatever he is. <laughs> um, he loses a lot throughout all these movies and before the movies, I'm sure, being turned into something he doesn't want to be, but. He just holds his ground and he knows that he's fighting for a greater good to get his family back when Thor tries to wussy out in Asgard and he's losing it. Uh, Rocket is the voice of reason and who thought that a raccoon could uh, talk to a god like that and kind of snap him back into reality or try to at least. And who knew that a raccoon could email Natasha and figure out how to work a computer <laughs> and uh, crack jokes against Captain Marvel. So. I love Rocket. He is one of my favorite Guardians. I'm always going to be a Star-Lord guy, but Rocket will probably be uh, my second favorite. So I thought he did a great job in the movie. He gets his son back, Groot, at the end, and we didn't really see a big interaction between them, right? I mean, we saw them kind of just look at each other, maybe. It was more like there was an explosion, Rocket ends up kind of on Groot's arm, and that's about it, I think, is all we got, really, for their interaction. 
right? Right before uh, whatever those big like ship type animals were, were dusted, one of them is going straight for Groot, and I think Rocket goes to shield him. Yeah. So Rocket's the man <laughs> or the raccoon, whatever. Um, I gotta, I gotta imagine as Guardians of the Galaxy will pick up right about right about the time they're leaving. So I think maybe we'll see a little bit more of that there. Yeah, I agree. And I'm calling it that from now on. It doesn't matter. As Guardians. Um, yeah. So to kind of expedite this a little bit, I'm just going to take over this portion of it and not talk about it uh, too much. The scene uh, that we kind of already talked about in the first portion where all the heroes return back, um, that shot of all of them coming through. I mean, there's everyone from Howard the Duck, the Ravagers, the Wasp, Valkyrie on her Pegasus, there's ever everyone and anyone you'd want to see. Wong, um, Hank Pim Pim didn't come, but it's cool. Sort Hank didn't come, yeah. Who knows? He's probably somewhere off being a jerk. Uh, yeah. But Hank and his wife were at the funeral, so I thought that was a nice touch. And uh, yeah, Black Panther. You know, Black Panther coming through was one of my favorite ones. Like he, he was the first one through, wasn't he? Yeah, like, like he came, yeah. he came through before. Uh, before yeah, did, before Falcon did, which I was like, okay. Falcon gave the on your left, and that's when we saw. But Black Steve Panther. came in first, right? Because I feel like the first the first circle actually opened more behind him. It was like on your left, and then it opened straight behind him. I was like, well, okay, close enough, I guess. Yeah, but it ended up being Black Panther, and that was that was epic. And that's pretty much going to wrap up the specific movie portion. I want to try to keep this shorter than our last podcast. And we're going to get into a little portion of the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. For those of you listeners who are new to watching the movies, it doesn't end here. Or new to knowing anything about, I guess, the future. It certainly doesn't end here. Kevin Feige is a genius and has so many more ideas moving forward. Well, they Disney released the schedule today. They released the schedule. But, but I, I only saw Star Wars and Avatar on there. They untitled Marvel movies, but they they listed when they're coming out. Allegedly, I mean that always changes, but it kind of at least gave us a game plan of how many there's going to be coming up soon. But the votes have always been. They just they just edited it or whatever. They just amended it to add Avatar. Oh, is that what it was? So they had like six untitled there's, Marvels. Yeah, in the there's next like three six years. or seven. There's like yeah. six or seven untitled Marvel movies over the next like three or like three to four years. Yeah, because we spoke about this yesterday off camera, Jared. Remember? Yeah, two no, I did. Twenty two in twenty twenty one, and or no, two in twenty twenty, and then three in three in twenty twenty one, and then another three in twenty twenty two. Exactly. Um, so to get into more recent news, yesterday the Spider Man Far From Home first official trailer came out. There was a teaser that came out. It. Jared, you're super pumped about this. What did you like about the trailer and what it introduced us to? I mean, I would like to say everything, like 10 out of 10 trailer. Um, like, I, I love the angle they're going with. Um, I know it's kind of like one of those kind of very lucky coincidences that all of Peter's friends got dusted so they can go back to high school together. Uh, but I love uh, I kind I love the angle they're going where he's like kind of having to deal with the world without Tony Stark, and you know how he's gonna have to kind of step into that role and how you know people are looking for someone to kind of fill those shoes and and how he and Tony kind of groomed him to do so, and now is his chance, but he's still you know dealing with that so he doesn't want to be he doesn't want to be Spider Man at the moment he kind of wants to take a break, 
and then he runs into Fury, who's gonna ghost. It won't won't answer his calls, and like, so Happy's gonna play. Such a oh, Happy's great! Play. I love Happy. I'm so glad he's gonna play a bigger role because I I feel like he's gonna he's not gonna be Tony, but he's still he's gonna get those interactions with Peter now, and that's funny because you know he hated yeah. Peter. <laughs> in uh in uh homecoming now far from home and he's like he's all buddy buddy with him but and it's, you know obviously i'm i'm a spider-man guy like he's my favorite so i'm gonna be biased but i after watching that trailer i am so excited for that movie it, it was fantastic and, and it opens up all these possibilities i know that the ancient one confirmed there's a multiverse but now we're gonna kind of get a chance to explain explore it more and is Mysterio lying is he really from said multiverse who knows probably not Steve do you have but... any theories about Mysterio's role in Far From Home and whether or not he's being truthful to one Nick Fury um, so just having the outside knowledge of Spider-Man and his own villains I'm going to go out on a limb and pretty much say that he's he's not being truthful uh, Mysterio is. Mysterio, Watch out with that hot take. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, he's one of Spider-Man's better villains, um, and I, I, you know, so obviously, I don't think he's being truthful with Fury. Um, the opening of the multiverse is very interesting, though. There's a lot of ways they can go into the future. Then, um, you know, of, of Marvel movies with a with a multiverse um, and time travel being introduced. A lot of cool villains from other franchises, um, specifically ones that Disney and Marvel have recently acquired from Fox, um, like Fantastic Four and X-Men. There's a lot of cool villains in those, um, specifically one of my favorites that I'd like to see, um, you know, potentially is the next big villain Thanos type is Kang the Conqueror, who wants to just kind of restore timeline as a but he's a fantastic four villain um but i think it's going to be spider-man's going to be interesting um just because it's spider-man he like jared said he's trying to take a break um he wants to just go on vacation with his friends they've all been dead for five years basically he just wants to go have fun for a little bit and be a teenager again yeah can i just interrupt again because i think that spider-man despite being one of the easily the best superhero it kind of shows the creative genius that you know that that uh stan lee and steve ditko and all those guys had because you take a guy i mean for one he's spider-man is probably one of the top five strongest in the entire marvel universe like of the of the main cast like obviously you, if you when you're getting into like thanos and all that that's a little unfair but i'm saying like your normal he heroes i would say he's he's probably in the top five He's up there, uh, you know. He always, but he's always, you know, never shown his, never shown his full strength. I don't even know if he showed his full strength in in Infinity War, honestly, or Endgame. But like, yeah. you take him and you put him in the city where his job, he always wants to be the neighborhood, uh, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He has, he doesn't always take on these cosmic supervillains. He takes face. That's Nick Fury yesterday in the trailer. What was that? This bitch, you've been to space. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He did say that. That was one of my favorite lines. Mm -hmm. uh, and we talked about how they kind of did the the they bait and switch on the Nick Fury line. You know, in the in the teaser, Nick Fury goes, 
it's good to finally meet you, Spider-Man. But in this one, he's like, Spider-Man, you're a tough guy to find because they technically met at at a Tony's funeral. But like, what I was saying though is like, you have a villain like Mysterio who is, who I mean, really he's a in the comics he is just like a he's a regular guy who's like a failed producer or trick uh, magician or something like that. And he's still able to like become this fantastic villain i think that's just really cool how they're able to, to i mean i think it takes a really good storytelling to make a really powerful superhero like have to navigate and take on like villains who are just like regular people mm-hmm. you know and so one thing, I'm, I'm excited to go see what happens going forward one, with it one thing i'm interested about with spider-man is the um you know, obviously they've got to work with Sony on um, the solo movies and, and shared appearances between Disney and Sony um, for Tom Holland. But one thing, um, one thing I want to see is if they end up going with Spider-Man, kind of filling that role of being the leader of the Avengers. Um, he's easily now probably the most well-known superhero left in the MCU, you know, given the previous movies that we've had with, you know, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, everyone kind of knows Spider-Man. He is Uh, the face of Marvel, basically. Yeah, and so I think they're probably going to, I think this is going to lead to him reluctantly kind of following Tony's mantle and and taking over and and leading the Avengers. It kind of looks like they're going that way, which is funny because Spider-Man's not really an Avenger. I mean, they kind of made him more so in the MCU, but I mean, like, like you know, he's, historically he's not an Avenger, and he's but they're not, gonna, he's not, that? but he is. He kind of well, like, yeah. shows up to help with some. He of helps them, right? But like to put him as a leader, not. it's kind of funny. And on yeah. top of that, like, I mean, that makes me feel like I, I do, I agree with you. I think they're setting him up for that, and it makes me think that there's something going on behind the scenes with Sony that Marvel feels confident enough to kind of have him looking like he's taking on more of that role. Unless they just completely blow us out of the water and like he's like, yeah, I'm done being Spider-Man. <laughs> and they right. never make another Spider-Man movie. Yeah, One, uh, that uh, that Captain Marvel has a big role as a leader too. But, um, that's all I was going to say, Steve. What were you going to say? Um, one other thing I want to kind of think about was we haven't seen Spider-Man for five years. We've got to assume now that there's a chance we could have Miles Morales show up. Um, you know, five years go by, you know, we get the mention in Homecoming um, from Childish Gambino that he's got a nephew <laughs> or a cousin or whatever. Uh, nephew. You know, we could, we could easily see, you know, a Miles Morales who's now a freshman in high school right around the same age as Tony, and we could eventually get, you know, multiple Spider-Men. Yeah, I definitely think that's something to look into the future, and um, that's why I didn't really subscribe that, uh, speaking to Jared's point, that he didn't really show his strength in Homecoming. Well, yeah, because it's still kind of an origin story. They just did it in a different way without Uncle Ben and all the... No, I mean Infinity War, not uh, not Homecoming. What are you talking about? Spider- Wait, what, when you said use it, showed his strength, you mean like... They haven't shown his full strength yet. Yeah, because he never uses it. Like the only the only person that's ever used his full strength was uh, when Doc Ock, in Ultimate, when Doc uh, Doc Ock took over Spider-Man's body, he punched uh, 
Shocker's face off and he re- or his jaw off and he realized that Peter Parker has always held back and could have easily killed everyone if he ever wanted to. But like Peter Parker, Spider-Man doesn't use his full force in battle because he's just that strong. Yeah, but he doesn't know that yet. There's no way he knows, yeah. knows that or else he would have used it against Thanos. He's not holding punches against him. He probably wasn't holding his punches against Thanos. That you're probably right there. But I mean, like in his, if he was able to like get a, he if he was able to like get a reaction from Thanos with his punches, which he did, then surely he's holding back his punches in a regular fight against like you know, the normal, you know, against like uh, normal guys he fights. Right. I guess just my point was that I like this trajectory of the development that they're doing with. Oh Spider-Man. yes, no, absolutely, I agree with that. Yeah, sorry, I, I didn't mean to make it seem like he he's full strength and will never get stronger. That's not what I meant. No, let's get into a fight over the podcast. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Let me just. I felt like the first part, the first portion of the the podcast was a lot of gushy things over Endgame, but that's just how I felt when speaking about these six that we've, we've spent so much time with. So, uh, for the listeners, I apologize that we did sound a little gushy, but it was a it was a big movement uh, movie for all of us and. Yeah. We obviously really enjoyed it. So, any worth gushing over? <laughs> What'd you say? Yeah, yeah worth... it, it was worth gushing over. It, it earned it. I agree. Yeah. Anybody have any final thoughts on uh, the future of the MCU in general? I have no idea where it's going to go, and I cannot be more excited for that. There really is like there's no telling what they're going to do next. Which I don't know. I'm I'm really excited to see what happens now. Right. My one thing. My one word would literally be possibility. Steve, any expectation of yeah. where it's going to go from here? Um, I mean, you guys kind of hit it. There's no real limit on what they can do right now. Um, they've got so many characters that have been introduced recently. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, they just acquired Fantastic Four. They're acquiring Fantastic Four and X-Men from Fox. Um, you know, that, that merger is going to be huge for them because there's some really cool characters in the Fantastic Four, there's some really cool villains in the Fantastic Four. Uh, X Men is is great. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways they could go with the future between the Avengers, Fantastic Four, X Men, all these different characters they have now, and all the potential villains. Um, and we don't know what to expect at this point. It's kind of like starting back over from Iron Man One, where you just know you're getting that. And you don't know where it's going to go from here, and I'm excited to see how it builds. I agree. So with that, for time's sake, we are going to end the second part of our Avengers Endgame spoiler uh, spoiler podcast there. So please join us soon. We are uh, going to make a podcast about the future of the MCU and dive a little deeper until into the proposed slate that uh, has been floating around for a while now just by sheer guess or by, by casting news directors being placed in places so we'll get into all that in our next podcast i want to thank everyone for listening uh, this has been kevin negron i've been joined by jared emerson and stephen barbush have a good night very nice guys